Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. Today, you're going to meet Clint Barr. He is an extraordinary bass player and a piece of musical history. Um, We're going to go down a rabbit hole of music nerdiness. We're going to be talking about instruments. We're going to be talking about famous and not-so-famous players. And you're going to be there for it. Uh, Clint has been on the music scene for a long time and has played with people from huge bands. And what makes Clint extraordinary is not the fact that he plays a 12-string bass or an 8-string bass or has been playing since uh, he first saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show. What makes Clint extraordinary is his passion. Um, And we also have some friends in common. And it's just lovely to talk to someone who has this passion for music but is not uh, arrogant. He's a real, uh, I don't know, he's just a sympathetic, decent human being, and I think you can enjoy our time together. Um, What you can also enjoy is a bite of an Abe's muffin. Uh, They are allergen-free, so if your kid can't eat certain things, they can probably eat these. And they taste good, so you'll eat them too, trust me. Do you like this podcast? Let me know. You can go to www.isthatreallylegal.com and there's a place to leave me messages, ask questions, etc. You know, review this podcast, share this podcast, you know, subscribe to the podcast. The usual things that we podcasters ask you to do. Um, and I'll be doing that all the time, so <laughs> you can get used to that. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview with the amazing Clint Barr. Clint Barr, welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. It's really a pleasure to meet you. Well, it's a pleasure to meet you too, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) So we were introduced by Jay Messina, who's been a friend of mine for a while, but probably a friend of yours much longer, I'm guessing. (laughs) Well, just because you guys have both been in the music business for a long time. That's that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, as I'll say in the introdu- introduction, you are a bass player, but to say someone's a bass player is um, two words that don't explain anything. <laughs> I mean, so like for people like me who are lifelong musicians, when I hear bass player, I can conjure anything from, you know, a guy who's playing a simple one, four, five in a wedding band to, you know, bottom out give it a full sound. Or I think of like two of my favorite guys like Paul McCartney or John Entwistle, who really transformed rock bass in more the melodic stuff. But you, I think, and we'll find out as we talk about it, um, you uh, go well beyond all of that because, um, well, I think you are much more into progressive stuff um, but we'll talk about it just because I saw in the new album that you have, and we're definitely going to talk about that. You work with some people who've been with King Crimson for people who don't know King Crimson. I would say they were probably the beginning of what we call prog rock or progressive rock. And I remember from my college days, many an evening in a variety of States listening to 21st century schizoid man which is by the way preceded me at that time this was already a classic album um and people should look up this band because you know it's where robert fripp started it's where uh greg lake started i mean these are two if i just said those two names you can i you and i could talk for an hour about just those two guys right absolutely Uh, But I want to talk about you because, again, most bass players, um, and we're going to talk about instruments too, you know, I think, okay, Fender Precision, Fender Jazz, maybe a Rickenbacker. You're playing a 12-string bass now. I can't even wrap my head around it. So let me back up. Now that I've laid all that out, where did you start? Like, where did you grow up? I grew up in East Ham, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. On the water, literally, I, the beach was right there. I was very lucky. Uh, my mom brought my my uh, my brother and I up there after a divorce, and uh, so I grew up on the beach, and and uh, I, I, it was just an idyllic life. 
for the- people who don't know, I mean, people live there year round. A lot of people think of Cape Cod, Martha's Vineyard as these right. vacation destinations. Right. But I think they're most beautiful in the fall when everybody leaves, except the people who live there. I totally agree. That was my favorite time of year was 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 autumn, like you just said, and uh, the air clears, the people clear. You know, it's just it, it's, it's still warm enough to walk on. Like you could throw a sweatshirt oh, yeah. on and walk barefoot on the beach. Yeah, you can walk for miles on the beach and not be disturbed. So that's where I grew up, to answer your question. And um, uh, like you, um, well, the Beatles were probably, for me as as a a player or or wannabe player, um, you you know, just blew the doors open of, of... popular music I, I mean it's the old everyone knows this story but, but you know it, it, I don't mind hearing it again because it's exciting and renews my um, passion uh, because as a kid and I think I think I'm a little younger than you I'm not going to ask but I remember I, watching definitely younger than me <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I I don't remember the Ed Sullivan show but I remember like the Beatles cartoons and I remember Yellow Submarine and I you know my brother and sister were older so I got to listen to all their albums and their 45s. Kids, if you're listening and you don't know what a 45 is, shame on you. Ask your parents. Look it up. Anyway. <laughs> but, <laughs> Go to school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, we, um, uh, so the Beatles were the beginning. <clears throat> and like every young person back then, you know, you get a little guitar and you start to play. So I started as a guitar player. Um, and then I remember hearing the song Rain uh, that they did with Paperback Writer on the, on the B-side or the other way around, whatever. Yeah, by the way, but neither of those, I think, is on an album. This was at a time when the Beatles released singles that charted and actually probably hit number one because they were the Beatles that ultimately I think they put on an album much later, which had all their singles. But anyway... Yes, you're right. You're right. Um, I'm a lunatic about music, and you probably are too. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what's great. And I, I before we get into this, I, I have to thank James Cena for hooking us up for this, and it's his fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you get a, a bad interview here, well, I doubt that's going to happen. No, I'm joking. So but. you listen to Rain, which. For, again, if you've yeah. not listened to it, it, you know, go listen to it on your whatever you listen to, because it was really a very unusual, it was almost like the beginning of the psychedelic era, really, yeah. because it wasn't your standard 4-4 four, four drumming. It was a very different kind of, I think they might have played backward guitar on that single. Yeah, and a, a backwards vocal at, on the coder of the track. Yeah, with Lennon's, you know, with it going backwards. Um, but what attracted me to it to become a bassist was McCartney's work on that song. So um, I, I mean, it was it was very very um, groundbreaking uh, to hear. And it attracted me uh, sonically. So I switched. (laughs) And it took a while because, you know, you don't have money and you have to. So I bought an instrument. What was your first bass? (laughs) It was an identical, and I mean identical, copy of a Hofner Beetle bass. Right, right. But it was a Japanese model by a company called Ideal. And and it happened to be an emerald green sunburst. Oh, wow. That is wild. <laughs> it was wild. So, you know, Eric, just a few years, and I ended up selling it, yeah, as you do. But, oh, and doesn't that kill you, by the way? I, I hate the oh, fact that I sold a bunch. It, it destroys me. And if I think of all, <laughs> if I, if I think of all the, in, the great instruments that I sold over the years, oh. I, yeah, it, it's... We'll have a list. You and I will read them to each other and then jump out the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this is the 15th story. I'm not going to do that. Oh, okay, good. Don't do that. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, that was the instrument I got, and then um, and then moved up scale. But what got me in, and then, and then I I started playing Hagstrom eight string basses back in the in the uh, late sixties. For people who don't know, Hagstrom is a European Nordic. Swedish or correct? Yes, yes, yeah. yep. They make a lot of guitars. They do, and and they're co highly collectible. But you couldn't play this thing, <laughs> maybe more more than the eighth fret without it just being you know problematic. Buzzing a lot, huh? Did it buzz? No, it was more of an intonation problem on the higher end of the instrument. But it was it, it was the beginning of me getting into multi-string basses. So, um, by the way, I just again, I'm sorry to interrupt, but to clear no, it up, yeah. um, you know, when I I know more about twelve-string guitars where the strings are doubled up, but they're doubled up on an octave. Mm -hmm. Is that the case for? Because I don't know anything about eight and twelve-string basses. Are they doubled or tripled up on the octaves? They're tripled up. Yes, it's exactly what you said. So you have the, f the four fundamental strings, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have the oct uh, two octaves per. And by the way, we are genuinely New Yorkers, you can hear in the background. I <laughs> That's know, Manhattan. No worries. No Manhattan. worries. Manhattan. You know, they're coming to take me away. Ha, ha. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> anyway, so that's, yeah. So... Uh, that was the progression into um, into playing multi-string. Uh, and then I went I went to a concert at the Boston Garden to see Cheap Trick. And we were signed to the same uh, company. You know, they, they were with um, Epic and we were with Columbia, the, that band I was... In at that time, right? But Epic was uh, what do they call an imprint of Columbia? Yeah, it was under the umbrella of uh, you know now it's Sony, but it they had a, a lot of I think Portrait was part of it. But so it was we we had access to get in and uh, backstage and stuff. So after the gig, I I went to their their guitar tech and. Uh, and, uh, and and Tom was there, and I, I got to meet him. And I asked if I could just, you know, play this bass. And he was... Tom, Tom is the bass player? I just Tommy don't know Peterson. all the... Got yeah. it, thank you. And he was kind enough to let me let me try it. And it, 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 he was using Hamer's and Alembic's multi-string bass. So that's how it started. And I thought, wow, this is great. This really opens up a sonic place for me where I wasn't affiliated with prior. But as, yeah. you, as you mentioned before, you know, the four-string, uh, I, I play four-string bass, obviously, in various, various acts and sessions and stuff. But the, I've become somewhat known for the 12-string bass and the Chapman stick, too. So, so I want to back up a second. Um, you start out playing bass... I'm going to guess you graduate high school. I don't know if you go to college, but you must probably, like everybody else, you join a band and become a bass player. Yeah, I was in a lot of bands. but It's great to be a bass player in that way because, I'll be honest, I mean, I'm a guitar player. I have acoustic and electric. I got my whole setup, but there's a million of us. Good bass players are hard to find in my experience, and so they are sought out uh, to round out a band. Is that your experience? Yes, if I'm considered a good bass player, yes, that's been that's been, <laughs> that's been my experience. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna get past your humility because you work with Jay. Jay doesn't work with just anybody, um, uh, and honestly, he's producing something for me, which I'm excited about. But we're yeah, but you and you've been with a lot of bands, and I know you've got a new album out, which we'll talk about too. Um, where you play with a lot of people and doing your own stuff, which just seems very exciting. Um, but anyway, was there a band that you hooked up with or created where you suddenly got some traction? Because I know you were with a, a label. What was the name of that band or your first band that you got some real traction? Um, well, yeah, I, uh, the first signed band was a, a band called Andromeda. And it 
it was based on Cape Cod, and um, we got signed by Joe Raposo, who was, do you, uh, you know who he is, right? I know that name. He, 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 was, he was a very famous songwriter. He wrote for Sinatra and, and uh, Barbara Streisand and the Carpenters and all these people. And um, he also did all the music for Sesame Street. Uh, <laughs> which is a, a a weird turn, but he you know and movies and and um, Broadway as well. He did Raggedy Ann on Broadway, if I remember correctly. But he heard us, and he, his offices were in Carnegie Hall. So I went there and brought a tape of a live concert we did in Western Massachusetts, and. Uh, he says, he just heard the first few bars and he goes, well, Chuck Berry, that ain't. Because <laughs> it was very intense music, you know. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of it. And he went over to Bruce Lonval at, at Columbia and played him this. We got, we got in, we, they flew us to New York. We got an audition uh, at CBS Studios. Uh, and as it was called back then, the Black Rock, the, the building on 52nd Street yeah. and 6th Avenue. And, uh, and then we were signed. I mean, it was that easy. Um, but there was a hell of a lot of road work <laughs> before that moment, you know. Sure. Um, you know, it's interesting. A lot of young uh I'm going to sound like one of those old guys, but screw it. I think there's a lot of people who don't understand how much work goes into getting to the point that you do get signed yeah. or where you, the band has to become tight. And the only way a band becomes tight is by playing forever and flying forever together in all sorts of situations to the point where you just look at each other and you know, okay, we're moving into this or like, yes. there's like that ESP that you have with each other. Yeah. Right. And it, the interesting part, Eric, is uh, of that of, of that story and that band, um, or I hope it's interesting, is that it, it, the instrumentation was violin, guitar, bass, and drums, and I, I was the singer for the band. So um, the violinist and I came up together in high school, and he happens and he ended up playing in a band called McKendry Spring. I don't know if you've, you've heard of them. They they did some stuff. They were they were a very cool band. And um uh but he's on this record that we're going to talk about the the Puzzle Box album. Mm -hmm. He's playing violin and sitar on on the album. Um but just to backtrack, I, I keep things in context. I was I was supposed to be going to art college back in the day. It was that or or Vietnam. So I was going to I was going to art college. And good choice. Uh, yeah, I, I preferred that because I wasn't going to Nam. That's for sure. But um, <clears throat> what happened was I I, I got to a, like a, a month. Before I was supposed to go, I was already enrolled, paid the paid the piper and the whole thing. But I decided, no, this is not what I, I don't want to go back into school again. I just came out of school. I I, I want to play music as as my living. I, I don't want to be an artist, which is another tough profession, right? Sure. As, you, pro, as you probably know. But um, so I I, uh, I moved to London. England. I, I left the country because I, I was attracted to the British side of the music business as opposed to, uh, you know, the American music scene then was not stimulating to me. So I packed up and I moved to London and I lived there for a couple of years. So. Wow. That was uh, quite a time to be in London, too. There was a lot going on musically. Yeah, 72, 73 was when I, w I, I was back and forth there. And... Um, that's where I met a lot of these players that you're, you're referred to, you know, the, the guys from, uh, you know, former members of Yes and Flash and, all, and, and these British musicians at the Marquee Club in London. 
So wow. um, it all ties in on this record that, that has just come out. So I'll send you a copy. Oh, my God. I, I would love that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, a lot I, of people you'll, you know are, are on <laughs> it, I'm sure. I, I bet you're right. Um, you know, for people who don't know, just getting to talking about King Crimson, um, and them being sort of the beginning of prog rock or progressive rock. I think uh, there's bands like ELP, which Emerson, Lake and Palmer, there's Yes, could even argue Genesis and Rush, although they're a little later, I think, and I don't want to get into being academic or not, but what, what I feel like happened was there was a split in rock music where you had... Um, you know, you have some amazing maestros, people like Pete Townsend and uh, Paul McCartney, just to name two guys who are amazing writers and did oh, yeah. amazing things with what they have. Okay. And, then I, and then I think there were people who wanted to explore the studio even beyond those guys. You know, synthesizers went from being this mono... <sighs> I don't want to get all lost in the thing, but so synthesizers used to be, you could only play one note on them at a time, you know, Moog came out and without getting too into it, then they came out with something called polyphonic, which meant you could play more than one note at a time. You could make chords. And then there were lots, rather than just a weird electronic sound, we're now at the point where you can sample grand pianos and put them in your synth. Right. It's undergone a tremendous technological revolution. But at the time, there were bands that wanted to play with sound almost as much, if not more, than composition, or who were being influenced by highly dramatic, almost operatic uh, kind of uh, work. Uh, you know, it's funny, if you think of Queen as more of a rocking version of that, because they have these giant ballads and uh, they, I, it's hard to think of Queen as a rock band in a way because I don't. I mean, all their songs are so not just four, four straight ahead, three minute songs. There's a lot more to it, but it, it's easier to think of something like ELP is like we're going to do an eight minute song uh, about you know uh, Tolkien or something. I, I don't know. Or say, say you know you, you take a song like Epitaph from the King Crimson's first album, um, which has these giant synth and mellotron sounds and these epic poems set to music kind of thing. Um, it's, it's a real, what turned you on about that? Because you could have just, you could have gone the other way, which was like Ramones clash, you know, sex pistols, which were starting around that time. Maybe they were a little later, but they were like three chords, two minute songs, which is so not what, do but it was a choice right I mean, did you did you make a choice or were you compelled to go a certain way what was that well i'll answer that question in in one minute but before <laughs> before that i don't know if you can see in the background you mentioned a melotron <gasps> holy crap boys and girls i've never been this close to one although we're not in the same place so people who don't know what a melotron is here's a, you, you can tell them right i mean there's a wooden cabinet it's a keyboard instrument and it's sort of like an almost synthesizer because what it does is you have a set of tapes, right? When, why don't you explain it better than I can? Because you own one. Yeah, and it's on. It's all over the album. <laughs> so. oh, that's amazing. I mean, John Lennon, in a weird way, made it popular back with like Strawberry Fields. I think was a melotron. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's got this really cool tape loop sound that you each each note. Each key is a note of a tape loop. Is that accurate? Yes, it, but it, it, the tapes are, um, it's a small keyboard, as you can see, I think. It looks like four octaves tops, maybe three octaves. Oh, it's I not that. It's like three, maybe three and a half. If okay. it's, maybe not even. <laughs> but but it is, um, it, it's a big tape machine. So it's, it, I guess you could call it the, the the, the first sampler, that kind oh, of Oh, that's but more accurate, yeah. Yeah. So, but they're real instruments. So this particular uh, Tron has um, 
uh, flute, which is the Paul McCartney thing in Strawberry Fields uh, the, that he played. And uh, it, so it has flutes, uh, violins, and cellos <sighs> on this. And you can mix the sounds together. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're really precarious instruments. You, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm never taking it anywhere <clears throat> but here. Right. It, it's, they're just too fragile to move around. And people toured with them back in, in our days, right? But I mean, that thing was probably made in the 60s, right? This is a 1971 uh, Mellotron. You're wow. right, though. They, they were. The, the original, wow. The Chamberlain and the, and the original Mellotrons were, were a two-keyboard instrument. This is the four, uh, M400 model, and it, uh, it's great, man. <laughs> I didn't know I wanted one until I saw yours. <laughs> well, come no, over and, and, and you can play it. It's a deal. And now I know where you live. I'm not telling you boys and girls, but I know. It's not that far from me. I can, I'd, I'd take the train. <laughs> anyway, um, so your decision to, I mean, I'm sure there were people in punk bands that, you know, they were doing interesting things. Well, I mean, heck, you know, talking, the Talking Heads sort of started out as a punk band and so yeah, did Blondie. I, I, was, I was doing stuff way before that era. It, um, so, I mean, back when we were in school, like in, in 68 and doing the Battle of the Bands and all that stuff, we would play the whole first Blue Cheer album, you know. For, <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with that band. I'm not. Oh, you should check them out. Blue Cheer. They were like the ultimate heavy metal blues trio. Wow. The, at one point, the loudest band in the world. <laughs> and I love them. But, I, you know, I was younger, and so we would, you know, we weren't writing our own material, so we were doing other people's stuff. So, and that's 10 years before the Ramones or, or so, approximately. So, uh, I, you know, I'm not adverse to playing simple music, whatever it might be, you know? Well, I know that people can find you, a little bit of you on YouTube. Um, it's not simple, but it's not progressive either. Um, I love the cream. I just <laughs> love them. And I've seen you do the cover. Well, it was an instrumental version, what I saw of it, of uh, Black Room with White Curtains, or uh, I think. White Room, yeah. White Room, sorry. Um, and also um, <laughs> doing Crossroads, which is a Clapton cover of an older blues tune, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But you were playing one of my favorite basses in that, and you it was a four-string, is that... I don't know if they call it an SG or an EB or I'm not sure, but what's nice is it looks like a much more comfortable bass to play the oh, SG yeah. kind of bass. And you are all over it, my friend, and you are rocking uh, crossroads with uh, this other gentleman playing like a flying V copy or something. And you guys were smoking it. Well, you know what that, that, I mean, just quickly, that was, the guitar player was the sound man for uh, the band uh, uh, at that time, which is what's called Tripod. And it, it, it was um, a sax, bass, and drums band, but it was a heavy, ro heavy rock group. So there were no keyboards or guitars in it. But he was the sound man, and he happened to be a great guitar player. And he proposed to me, do you want to get together? And he had seen Cream at the Garden when they came over here. And, and uh -huh. he called me up and he said, do you want to do a cream, I hate this term, but tribute band? And sure. I said, well, sure, let's give it a shot. I, you know, we'll just do it in our downtime. And, uh, and, and we ended up, you know, doing some work. I mean, they were the kind of the original power trio. I mean, yes. I, you could think of Hendrix maybe, but like, you know, you had Ginger Baker, Eric Clapton, and uh, I'm blanking on the other guy, the bass player. Oh, Jack Bruce. Thank you. Um, everybody was crazy talented. Uh, everybody was crazy oh. egotistical. <laughs> I think they only stay, stuck together for a couple of albums, but they, they are probably some of the 
best albums of any rock and roll ever of all time. Oh yeah, when you have three talents like that, yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be good. <laughs> uh, so anyway, kids should check that out. They can find you on YouTube out there. Uh, anyway, sorry. Um, so I've lost track of our thread, but it's the seventies. You're playing in some bands. You're all right. There were jazz groups too. You know, I mean, that, that's the thing. I, I, I think Eric, that the best line I can draw you here is, you know, coming from the typical high school band stuff, uh, into, into, into rock and, and then into jazz. Um, you know, Soft Machine and, uh, uh, you know, big band jazz, all kinds of stuff. So I've played with all kinds of bands, whether it's a big band or, or, or a, a folk ensemble or a cabaret, you know, whatever it might be. You have to do that in order to assimilate music. Well, I'd love that real musicians, and yes, I'm going to say this, real musicians and top musicians that I know of, they don't draw lines between styles. Right. I've, seen, I've seen rappers and serious country people love each other's work. They may not be into that particular style, but they get each other on a soul level. And they can, you know, just the other night, I went with my wife to see Tim McGraw at Jones Beach. And I saw four country acts, including Tim McGraw. And there are players in those bands that blew oh, my yeah. socks off. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I like country. I don't like everything on country. But even the stuff that I may not be that into, I can really appreciate someone's playing or the intricacies of harmonies. Same with rap. There's not a lot of rap I know. But when I hear, when I hear something I love, I'm like, holy crap, how did they do that? Or that is such a cool lyric. I would never, I would never in a million years sing that. It would be false for me as this middle-aged white guy singing this particular <laughs> lyric. But man, that know. is so honest. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, you know, you listen to Missy Elliott. I'm not singing any Missy Elliott, but I think she is the shit. I think she's amazing, just as an example. And she's old school. But uh, So anyway, I agree with you. I mean, I was a uh, I was an all-state cellist growing up, almost went to conservatory, taught myself to play guitar, was in a ton of different bands. You know, I mean, we all have our own journeys. And what I love what you're talking about is no straight line. There's never a straight line. Yeah. You know, uh, I forget who said it. Somebody was recently saying they were a 20-year a overnight success. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, even people like Madonna, who when they broke, people are like, oh, she's so young. And this one, yeah, but she like spent a couple of years in England just dancing in clubs and trying to get her singles played. Um, just as an example, whether or not you're a Madonna fan, you have to appreciate what she did in the business. Um, so anyway, back to you, because you're not Madonna. It's uh, <laughs> which is a good thing for you and <laughs> and uh, the person you're living with. Um, uh, so at some point, though, you make a transition to prog rock, or I just I'm making a fake move here because I'm already halfway through our interview and I kind of have to push this along. Sorry. Oh, okay. But uh, well, I'll expedite it then. <laughs> we. <laughs> No, it wasn't a conscious effort to go into any style of music. It just happened naturally. And many of my friends in, um, in Great Britain and, and, and here in the States were really fine musicians. And they had that capability to go, to go into an, a higher level of, of music. Uh, and I don't mean that pretentiously. I mean that they had the capability on their instrument or instruments to, you know, to play real, right. players, real serious players. So, you know, I was thrown in the deep end. I, I had to keep up with these people because, and that is also a, um, a reason to throw yourself into the fire, if you will, and and because you learn from these people, the better people you're surrounded with, uh, it, it's so stimulating, and you have to get good. 
<laughs> oh man, I, I agree. When I was in theater, I, um, I did a professional Sondheim production into the woods and regional theater in New England. And the people I was with were all Broadway people. And, you know, we had a couple of weeks of music rehearsal. And if people don't know, some of Sondheim's music is incredibly complicated, especially when you're singing next to someone and you might be two steps in the same, you know, musically two steps can be really hard or even a single step can be really hard with you like, like a soprano and a baritone. And I, I'm not, because of the staging, I'm not with another baritone. I'm next to a soprano and I can't, I gotta get my note and stay with my notes. Um, and look, you, you have a certain amount of time to get it and then we got to move on. Um, and I feel like I'm sure that's the way it was too. It's like, you look, we've got a certain number of songs. We've got to get it together and get on the road. Yeah. Um, yeah. And a bass player, there's nowhere to hide. I mean, well, the truth is in almost all this stuff, you get to the point where there's never anywhere to hide. Cause it's not like you're in, I mean, maybe if you're singing the gay men's chorus, don't hate me, but you know, you got like 40, <laughs> Tenors out there, you might be able to sort of voce a little bit and get by with certain things. But well, I'll tell you, there there was <laughs> there was some shows I I was hired for where I wish I could have hid. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, but you, know, you do it, you get character building. It's character building. Oh my god! <laughs> but uh, but it's been a it's been a great ride, and um, hopefully it'll continue, and. You know, we have mutual friends in Jay and Colleen, of course. Right. And it, 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 I'm just going to say this quickly. It's funny sure. because Into the Woods, I think, was my wife's. My wife's a sign language interpreter. Oh, I didn't know uh, that. For Broadway. I mean, she does all kinds of stuff. But mm -hmm. she interprets on Broadway a lot. And uh, just finished a, sh a show and has got another one coming. But that was her first show in Manhattan. She's from L.A. And Into the Woods was, the, you know, the one she broke, broke the ice uh, on Broadway with. Well, my wife's so from California, too, but from San Francisco. Oh, oh, yeah. Completely different. <laughs> yeah. But, well, my wife, Stephanie, she, she went to, she went to, uh, lived in San Francisco. So you oh, guys cool. have a lot to talk about. I bet. I bet. Um, yeah. Broadway oh, is, yeah, for musicians, Broadway is so much fun. I mean, the musicals yeah. are always, they're shifting, changing. Uh, and I bet you like myself, I mean, you probably listened to tons of Broadway soundtracks as a kid. My parents played them. Yeah. So it was, there was opera, there was Broadway, there was Sinatra. Um, you know, there was really no rock and roll in the house at all. I think I remember the first rock and roll I heard was on a car radio it was the Everly Brothers, and, wow. and it wasn't really rock. It was one of their ballads, and but no. So it was um, interesting. And then, as I said in, in the beginning, when the Beatles hit, you know, boom, the roof was blown off, and every kid in the world got it. Or, or right, know, yeah. So right. Um, yeah. So let's talk about the album. Um, yes. Puzzle Box. Yes. What, is there any uh, reason for the name of the album? Any what? I'm sorry. Reason for the, that to be the name of the album? It's the name of, of the band, too. Got it. So um, it was taken from a song I wrote years ago, and I just thought, oh, what a cool name for a band. So uh, I just decided after all these years in the business playing with all these people and stuff. And I, I've never done anything for myself proper. <laughs> so I decided to uh, do a solo solo with like 11 other people on it, but <laughs> uh, a solo album. And, and I did, and we recorded it at um, pyramid sound studios uh, here in Manhattan and Jay uh, Messina, mastered it and uh and i'm very proud of it it's um it, it, and, and puzzle boss the connotation is it suits the record because it's a very um eclectic album there's avant-garde jazz on it i mean free music there's folk music on it there's indian music on it 
there's heavy rock. Uh, there's, it's a really diverse record, but it has a theme, and each track um, threads into the next. Not unlike a Sar- what they did with Sgt. Pepper and a few mm-hmm. you know, other, other acts did. It, there, it, it has a theme to it. Why, why did you pick Jay? Had you worked with him in the past? Well, I had met Jay back in the old days at the record plant in gotcha. uh, here in, in, in New York. And I, uh, we, I had worked with um, his friend uh, and compatriot, Jack Douglas, the producer. And um, so there was a connection to the record plant and to those gentlemen and and. I needed to get the album mastered, and I called Jack, and he said, oh, call Jay, you know, I'll work something out with you guys, and so I did, and Jay was kind enough to take on the project, and and now we're, um, we're back to being friends. I hadn't seen him for years, yeah. Well, it's interesting, the record plant, for people who don't know, was if not the place, certainly one of the top places to record for all kinds of musicians, certainly in the 70s, probably the 80s, even the 90s. But then there was, because the technology shifted, a lot of people had home studios or sort of underground uh, on-the-fly studios because the technology made it that, you know, I'm talking to you on a laptop right now. You know, and that... um, Likewise. (laughs) And I have the ability to record on this laptop now I'm I don't know what I'm gonna do when I'm working with Jay, but it wouldn't surprise me if you know we're gonna be doing something similar laptop wise, although I'm doing acoustic I don't know what's gonna be happening. But the point is the technology sort of made the record plant kind almost obsolete. I mean, we're talking about a time when in California, I don't know if it was Capitol Records, uh, those places they built studios with giant underground rooms for reverb. <laughs> It's like literally just to send the sound down to the basement and back. And it's just such an odd notion that, and, and those were crucial rooms and, and real estate pieces. And now it's like, you know, we just put a module in a rack and go, that's my reverb. It's like, yeah. What? It's not the same though. No, I, I agree. There's um, it's the whole analog digital thing. You know, I have a great amp. I have a Fender amp that's transistor and it emulates lots of other amps. But if I had the money, the time, the space, whatever, I would get an old pre-CBS twin reverb with tubes. And um, if you don't know what I mean, sorry, you'll look it up. But you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. And watch out there loud. (laughs) Well, you know, in my basement in Long Island in Massapequa, I definitely rattled that house. I'm sure. uh, With one one of many guitars that I got rid of. Oh, my God. I'll tell you two. I had this old Univox copy, Univox copy of a Moss Wright. Moss Wright guitars, they still make them, were like surf guitars. Yeah. Um, and then um, and then I had a Gretsch Tennessean, which is this really too oh, big. Oh, that that's a lovely guitar, yeah. Well, I don't know where it is because I traded it and I want to <laughs> shoot myself. I do have a Gretsch now that my wife bought me, which is this like smaller Almost like the size of a Les Paul, but it's semi-hollow. I know that. I know that model. That's a that's a lovely <laughs> instrument. I'll show you. The kids at home won't see it, but I just oh yeah, I freaking love this yep. guitar. Um, Deutsche used those a lot back yeah. in the day. Uh, those are those are beautiful. Thank you. So you, I, I want to talk about the stick for a moment. Uh, for people who don't know, um, when King Crimson sort of came and went through a couple of iterations and there was a guy who uh i forget his name you'll tell me who it is in a second i'm sure he was playing this sort of bass thing that's called the stick um he might have also been with um i'm forgetting his name the guy who was an original genesis player and then he went out on his own um did sledgehammer Sorry, kids, this is oh, what Peter happened when you get old. Yeah, and I think the guy who oh, kind of got Tony, Le- Tony Levin is the stick player. Yeah, right. And I think he played with Peter Gabriel, Peter Gabriel also. But, yes, he did. So talk to and me John about... Lennon. He's oh. played with everybody, Paul Simon. Yeah. He's, he's, 
he just had a birthday. He's a great guy. He's a beautiful guy. Oh, that's great. Did you, I, so do you play the stick and can you explain what it actually is? Well, I, I don't, I don't play it as well as Tony plays. <laughs> Some people play Bach on it. You wow. know, I, I mean, I play what's functional for the song. Uh, I'm, I'm not flashy on it or anything, but, um, but I've played it for since 1985, I guess. So you do the homework. I don't know. <laughs> well, well it, it's not just a bass, right? I mean, it's very different. No, what, what it, my, mine is, um, is, is, an older, is an older version of it. So it, I, I have a 10-string ten, ten version, and it's tuned in perfect fourths and perfect fifths. So you being a cellist, you you, you know what I'm saying. That's all fits, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, um, but the strings are reversed. So you've got guitar strings and bass strings on it, but they're they're the reverse of what they should be. Oh so God! The, no. mi the middle string um, is is a C, and that's the lowest bass note. And then the the one up from that in the, in the fifth section is a, is an F sharp. So it's tuned E A uh, D G C F sharp B E A D. Yeah, and it's all it's all touch. It's hammer on, if you will. Right, um, and fretless, know. I assume. No, it's not fretless. No. Oh, okay. And, if we had time, I'd pull it out and show. Yeah, that's cool. But um, uh, but it's it's hammer on and it has frets and you can't strum it. You know, there are instruments you can do that with called a war guitar and all. Well, I've seen you strum the SG bass, which I thought was pretty amazing. <laughs> well, I had to in that band. You had to fill out the sound, you know. <laughs> but it was like you were. It's like you were playing a four string guitar almost. Almost like a tenor guitar. I mean, it's not a space, yeah. but you were really bringing the bottom, bringing the bottom. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, Spinal Tap, which I don't know a, a <laughs> guitar player or bass player who doesn't love Spinal Tap. But there is a song on uh, Spinal <laughs> Tap you, called Big Bottom, where Big bottom. right all three of them play basses uh, at the mm -hmm. same time. Uh, I will spare people the lyrics because they're great. Uh, they're really, they're terrible and great. Um, but the whole notion of three people playing bass at the same time in a band is pretty cool and weird. Um, and people should see Spinal Tap anyway. But, but it's, uh, it, it's, yeah, if you're a musician and you haven't seen it, I don't know what to say to you. Do that right away. Um, Puzzle Box, is that out yet? And is it available? And how, It is. It's, how do people get it? Um, well, you can go to puzzlebox.band, which is the website. And, uh, and you, can, you can purchase it there. You can also get it through Bandcamp so far. Mm-hmm. The record company uh, Moon June is putting uh, is is putting it out like they did the tripod albums. So yes, it's available right now. I hear good things about Bandcamp. Is uh, are you happy with using them? Well, I've never had before. So the record company um, is a is responsible for that. Got it. Uh, and the owner, I've never used them before, but. I he raves about them, so yeah. Well, cool. I know. I know that uh, Colleen has used them, and I think it's pretty easy and much better than some of the other services. I, that's the consensus, pretty much. Yeah. Cool. Just for people who are into publishing their own music, because um, not everybody uh, has the luxury of having a label. <laughs> Well, you're right. You're right. But I've been affiliated with them for 20 years now. Wow. And, um, yeah. And also, I want to mention that, 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 uh, that just to uh, about the 12-string basses, they're made by a company that you should check out called Music Vox. Music Vox? One word, Music Vox. Not to be confused with Vox, which no. makes guitars and amps. Got it. 
No, it's not Vox. It's Music Vox, one word. They uh, are a great company, and the owner is uh, a, a dear friend and a great guy. And um, you check out Music Vox, uh, Music Vox and uh, they also did... Um, if you've ever seen the Austin Power movies... I have. Well, they supplied the weird-looking instruments for... Uh, for the uh, the the band that plays, uh, you know, with with Mike Myers, gotcha. Those wacky looking instruments, but because you mentioned Mazrite, there there's a similarity in 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 their style. Oh yeah, for sure. There, I, I get it. Um, very cool, fun. Yeah, yeah. Check uh, them out. I can hook you up with uh, Matt Eichen, who's the, who's the president, if if you ever want to get one. They're great instruments. Yeah. You know? Wow. Thanks. You know what I what I find interesting is you know for years you pretty much had a choice of you know Fender, Gibson, Rickenbacker, Gretsch as you know most guitar players in general. I think you know uh, as a bass player, like I said before. There was a lot of Fender. There were a couple of Gibsons. There weren't, you know, a couple of people would have them, Rickenbackers. And then all of a sudden, there was an explosion of these independent companies making instruments. Some came and went really fast, you know. Some, uh, you know, like BC Rich or, I mean, uh, I, I, I don't know, a variety of them. But now, uh, there's a lot of smaller, not as well-known companies and I see people playing them like top notch people are instead of getting just a strat, they'll get a PRS strat it's, or a um, this other thing where I'll be like, I don't even know what the heck that is. But like they're playing the crap out of it and it's sort of like something, but it's not like anything. And um, it's confusing and exciting. Uh, I'm, of course, I'm talking to the guy who's playing 12 string basses. So. Uh, you're completely off the map when it comes to that stuff. Yeah, I know. I've, I've been, I've been called, I've been called worse. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you always play the 12 or are you fooling around no, with lots I, of things? I, 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 I play all manner of basses, um, but I'm known for the 12 string bass. What, what is your favorite four string bass? Can I, can I pitch? My favorite? Pitch? Yeah. Um, well, I own a, I own a, a, a 1962 reissue, which is already almost 40, which is now 40 years old, um, uh, uh, a jazz bass. It's gorgeous. It's a beautiful instrument. Yeah. And, um, I, I, and the Gibson Thunderbird. All right. And the Hofner, uh, uh, you know, McCartney bass, which, which, Eric. Not the copy, but the, the Hoffner. Not the copy, the real guy, but I got it. I just, I bought it in the, some years back, but I got it with the same emerald green star, you know, sun. Oh, cool. Just because <clears throat> I love that first bass. So wow. it's more of reminiscence of that, that time. You know, I was watching the Get Back uh, movie on Disney, you know, of all those yeah. sessions. Did you get a chance to look at that? Oh, absolutely, yes. I, I was fascinated by the fact that, like, he was choosing to sit and play his Rick. He had a Rickenbacker, and he, I think he liked it a lot. I know he, he used to play that in performance in Wings all the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. But when they were going to do the outdoor concert, he was like, I, I can't stand with this thing, meaning it, it, the Rickenbacker was heavy, which it is a heavy bass. Yeah. And he picked the Hoffner just because it was so light yeah. and he easy, I think. Oh, yeah, he, he is. I mean, he's on concert. He's in concert right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe not today, be, but he's on tour. He's going to be 80, for God's sakes. He and Ringo are out there. Ringo's going to be over here just a couple blocks away at the Beacon Theater. You is know, there anyone who doesn't love Ringo? I mean, he's the greatest. Not, right? He's the he's freaking the greatest. <laughs> you got to love him. Oh, he's beautiful. And, you know, people knock him uh, uh, for his drumming. And, wow. and I, I, this, you ask any musician in jazz or rock or, or any, any idiom about Ringo, and, you know, he's, he's worshipped. I mean, he's brilliant. Now, anybody who knocks him 
doesn't know what the f they're talking about. I've, I've, I, I first of all, I, I'm no drummer, but I, I've been a lifelong musician. And when you hear, when you hear again, like the way McCartney, I was just listening to Penny Lane, which is a great yeah. pop song. You listen to the bass part of Penny Lane, you're like, oh, he's doing all these cool counter melodies. The, the oh, bass yeah. part throughout the whole thing. It's just like a, a virtuoso performance. But if you look at Ringo and go back to things like Ticket to Ride, um, he's doing drum fills and breaks and things that like nobody yeah. is doing that. And he just comes up, real drummers who talk about Ringo, guys like Keltner and um, oh, the guy from E Street Band and all these other people, oh, they yeah. worship Everybody. him. Billy Cobham, you know, uh, Phil Collins. You know, I, I mean, he's respected as a musician by musicians. Yeah, and rightfully so. And and what I find fascinating is, you know, Ringo starts as a drummer because I think he had tuberculosis. He's a kid stuck in a hospital. He gets a drum. You know, like you never know what's going to change your life. I mean, uh, you watched the Beatles probably on this Ed Sullivan show and it destroyed you in a good way. <laughs> uh, like so many of us, uh, I mean, I didn't, like I said, a little younger, but when I, you know, I'd listen to my sister's Supremes records yeah. and I, even the monkeys. And I really oh, loved, yeah. I loved yeah. the melodies. Yeah. Al, Alice Cooper. I heard Alice Cooper do an interview. He produces lots of people. He has all these heavy metal bands come in. He's like, you guys are great. Here, listen to the Beach Boys and the Beatles, and then you can write some music. Like, he sends them away to listen to the Beatles and the Beach Boys because they understand song structure and music in a completely different way. Um, yeah. I'm excited to listen to your album. I'm excited for other people to listen to it. So Puzzle Box by Puzzle Box. Um, I'm, we're, we're running out of time. Is there anything that you wish I would have asked you? whether you wanted to talk about. No, I, I mean, you, you've, been, you've been lovely. Thank you so much for giving your time uh, oh. to, to this uh, interview. I, I mean, I much appreciate it. Oh, sure. I mean, I'm hoping that we'll actually meet in person because oh, if your yeah. friend's a J, and I know, where, I know where you live, but uh, you're really close <laughs> to where J lives, and I'll be there for sure next week doing some recording, and who knows when else. Um, uh, and hopefully see you. Are you guys going to be playing out anywhere? Well, no, not right, not at the moment. No, but I, I, there's other things in the works um, that I I can't really be specific about because they're in the works. <laughs> no worries. But um, yeah, but I, I want to tour tour the band with various people. Uh, uh, that would be exciting in various countries and, you know, bring in a lot of the players from this album and also uh, you know, other players that I've yet to, uh, I've yet to ask. Well, now that the world's opening up a little bit, it's exciting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're all still nervous. Jesus, it's been such a ride, huh? <sighs> you know, I was just in Italy, but I felt very safe. And my wife and I took a vacation in Sicily and in, uh, in Florence, um, but oh, yeah, I feel safer there than I do here. That's a whole political yeah. thing that we don't necessarily have to get into. Oh, I, 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 American politics, let's not get into that. <laughs> I'll say this, you and I are very lucky. You and I don't live in America. We live in New York. Yeah, you know, I live in Brooklyn and you live in Manhattan. And I yeah. feel like this is not America. And it's not a cut on anybody. It's just the truth. It's a very, I've been to America. I, uh, I used to tour as a comedian and do some other things. And uh, that's America's a crazy place. Oh, oh, I, I know, brother. <laughs> I've been there too. <laughs> on that note, Kumpar, thank you so much for being on Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. You were a delight. Well, thank you, Erica. You're a doll, man. And love to your wife. And, and thank you for doing this. Wasn't it great to meet Clint? He is a superstar and also just a sweet guy. And we're going to continue to have you meet amazing musicians, artists, writers, and just people. 
they're among us. They walk among us. Please be safe because some other people walk among us too and that scares the crap out of me. Um, so please be safe. Take care of each other. Grab an Abe's muffin. Uh, they taste so good and they are allergen free. Uh, go to www.isthatreallylegal.com if you have questions, comments, and um, we're going to talk more about getting active with politics. If you have questions, let me know, but there are people to give money to. There are people to give your time to. We need to make sure that fascism doesn't take over this country. I said it. There you go. Bye-bye.